there's a wonderful uh, saying that a friend of mine said to me years ago about kids, actually. She said, your children are on loan, you don't own them. And, and I think that it's really important for organizations to think of their employees in the same way, as in, you shouldn't just assume that they're going to work there forever. From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show that attempts to unearth the truth behind why people chose this lofty role, how they got there, and what they actually do day to day. I'm Matt Crabtree, the founder of Positive Momentum, and on today's show we meet Carlene Jackson, founder and CEO at Cloud9 Insight, a specialist in deploying Microsoft Dynamics 365 customer engagement software. Now established in 2010, Cloud9 has since provided over 700 businesses with tailor-made Dynamics 365 systems, delivered by an experienced team of Microsoft certified consultants. Now, Carlene started her career with the mighty IBM and seems to have been a very early convert to the benefits of CRM. So it's no surprise that by way of a career that included senior roles with Zanza, Innovira and Sage, she eventually just had to establish her own shop, via which she also supports the growth of SMEs, is helping to bring degree apprenticeships to a much greater prominence and is also advocating passionately for greater inclusion in all respects. I started out, as we always do on Meet the CEO, by asking Carlene why she became a CEO. Well, I, I felt that actually my brother kept hounding me, actually, and saying, why are you making lots of money for other people? You can, uh, you can make this all for yourself. And I've been in sales, and so he'd seen me successfully grow over the years. And I have a huge passion for cloud technology, which I'd seen working with some American companies. It was probably ahead of the game over there. And so I thought, why not? Uh, let's let's do this. And I took the opportunity actually to coincide setting up my business at Cloud9 Insight with a move to the Alps um, and living the cloud dream, you could say, using all the technology from satellite uh, internet on my roof because I was too far from the exchange to get reliable uh, satellite. In the, in the winter, I had to sort of scrape down the satellite dish to make sure I still had access to my internet, but otherwise, yeah, living living the cloud dream before ultimately then returning back to England, having my business been established. Fantastic. So your 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 brother nudged you and said, come on, why are you doing this? Had it always been an itch you'd wanted to scratch? I mean, that can't have been the first time you thought about it. Well, the, I guess when I think back, I never really thought about it much at the time, but when I was uh, 17 years old, uh, just turning 18, um, I actually took on the franchise of a catering in a pub and cooking is one of my biggest passions. And so, so there I find myself cooking food. And one thing I, I would say is I have take my hat off to anyone in hospitality because it's not an easy place to make money. And certainly I was barely able to sort of pay for all my costs, let alone make a lot of money. Um, so before then returning to, to sixth form, because I just moved from Scotland down to England. And so that was my first uh, start at being an entrepreneur, but I didn't think of it like that at the time. And then I, uh, many fast forward, I was doing uh, an MBA with the Open University and I just finished that. And I was offered some opportunities to do some uh, strategy work actually. And I thought this sounds, this seems great. And so I did actually have a stint of doing some strategy consulting uh, for a little while. But what I learned is that there's a distinction between 
uh, when people say they want to work to, to start a business, often what they don't think through, and I certainly didn't at that stage, is do you want to start a business that employs people or do you want to start a business that is you selling your time? And that's what I was doing at that time. I was, was myself and a close friend of mine who I'd done my MBA with, we were selling our uh, time. And then what happens when you do that is you flip between selling and doing and selling and doing. And it's a it's a bit of a yo-yo and it's creates a sort of uh, difficulty, you could say, with your cash flow. Uh, when's your next customer? Are you busy selling or are you busy delivering? And it's hard to do both. Um, and so looking back, I realize now what I should have had was a mindset uh, because I had ambitions to grow and, and for it to be a long-term sustainable business rather than uh, just selling my time. I, I should have thought about hiring people if uh, as and when I could. Um, but yeah, so that I did that for about a year and I had some fantastic clients that I worked with, but then I got headhunted for uh, a role that I couldn't say no to and did that for a few years. So yeah, I probably, I've been sort of scratching the itch without really thinking about it too much. Uh, and then I really went for it uh, in when I found an area that was growing and I feel really lucky to have landed where I have because it's a it's a growth market and tech is always very much needed by uh, our clients. Yeah. I've, by the way, I feel like you were describing my life for the last 20 years when you were describing the whole kind of selling and delivering, selling and delivering, but that's a completely different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I notice one of the things that you're doing in Cloud9, I mean, obviously you're as you say, in exactly the right place at exactly the right time, although I think you saw the CRM thing coming by the looks of your profile quite a long time and before maybe the bulk of the world did. But aside from that, I also noticed that what you've been able to do with your own business is also focus on some things that seem really important to you, like bringing opportunities for young people, uh, providing support and services for SMB businesses, particularly in the region that you're in now. Is that, I don't want to lead the witness, but I mean, it, that freedom to be able to do that on your own terms rather than as part of the sort of big corporates that you've been in previously, is, is that a driver for you? 100% yes, definitely well spotted. Yeah. So I think that it's great to be more purpose led. I think for me, it's never been about making money. It is about making a difference. And I think more and more people are attracted to work with people and organizations that where they can make a difference collectively. And for me, definitely giving a, a sort of an inside sort of secret access, you could say, to coming into either the tech sector or becoming a consultant definitely is hugely rewarding for me. And unfortunately, there aren't enough companies out there and it's becoming even more difficult right now with people doing hybrid working for young the younger generation to really have access to mentors and talented people who can help them on their journey. And I feel hugely fortunate to have worked for organizations like IBM earlier in my career who invested hugely in me to now be able to pay it forward and to be able to support the younger generation. And I would say, particularly during lockdown, they have been very hardly uh, hit, I would say, uh, because especially with people working from home. And I think it's it's they have an immense energy and enthusiasm that I find contagious, actually. Uh, so I, yeah, I just love it. And then working with SMEs uh, in my business, this is the first time I've always worked with enterprise companies before that. And I love working with fellow entrepreneurs, slightly sort of, you could say risk takers. They have their day job and they just want to, their ambition is infectious. 
and they they want to scale their businesses and what we do can help them do that so that's exciting that i can make a difference in that way too it's the stuff you'll be remembered for isn't it that's the thing that i always think is i'm not sure anybody's ever going to remember us helping a you know, Fortune 500 get another sort of half a half percent of margin in Q3 2018 19. But you know that does in itself create opportunities for people. But the impact that you make on the younger generation, give them the opportunities that we enjoyed and more. That's what you'll be remembered for, and it's fantastic to see leaders like you espousing that. We could talk about all that for some time, as I suspect our uh, our young adult children make us do so. We were chatting about that before we started recording. Um, I want to ask you the second of our questions that we ask all of the CEOs that we interview. We want to sort of get slightly behind the curtain because there's a sort of belief about how CEOs spend their lives, and we try to bust some of those myths on this podcast if we can. What what part of your day is sacrosanct? What do you what do you protect, Carlene, in the way that you you work and live? Because yeah, I can anybody who looks at your LinkedIn profile will see you're doing many, many things. <laughs> what do you protect? What do I protect? You know, I have three kids. Uh one is 10, uh, one is 21 and a 19-year-old. And I would say you never get that time back. And I give 100%, more than 100% it feels, to to my business and to my team and to their success. But I think that it's having, especially having a younger kid who's 10, uh, he keeps me young, I would say. Uh, and um, he, I, I think it's really important that kids need your time. And so you can always work after they've gone to bed if you really want to work, but try to make sure that you're sitting down and having meals with them, cooking them nice meals. And uh, for me, although that's a sort of mindful activity, I love cooking um, and just having quality time with them, whether it's being the taxi driver, because that's they sort of you lock your kids are locked in the car with you and you get this fantastic conversation. There's no walking out of the room or gaming or anything. So I love that time. But with with each of my kids, they I think probably for all kids, I think they need that one on one special time. So trying to sort of eke out whatever that means in my day or in my calendar to to have that one-to-one because you never get that back yeah it's a cliche isn't it you never have it back but oh my goodness you don't realize it do you until mine are 21 and 23 we were chatting about it before you don't realize until it's gone that that time you just don't get that time again although yesterday i was with my 23 year old you know and we were in a car going from one place to another and actually it's still the same that that you know opportunity for a concentrated conversation but I completely agree with that. And I'm often saying to people I coach, just don't go to that extra meeting instead of parents' evening or sports day or just dinner together, making dinner together. I think you're you're so right about that. But um, there will be many people listening to this saying that it's, um, it's easier said than done. That's a fact, but it is desperately important. Thank you. Um, what's the most challenging situation that you've encountered as a ceo um it's been an interesting uh decade or a bit more i think since you've been a ceo lots and lots of things have happened and keep happening to us what's the what's been the biggest one that you've had as a ceo and what did you learn Colin? so i would say uh every day is a challenge but i love challenges uh <laughs> however the the thing that i would say looking back and it it's it's probably one of the most challenging things and maybe not actually discussed much either. And I say that most CEOs actually face this is that when you start your business, the people who 
you they have a lot of loyalty to you and you have a lot of loyalty to them their skills and experiences aren't necessarily you get you could get lucky and i have been lucky in some situations but they're very often not the same people who are going to help you scale if you have ambition to scale and that's a really heartbreaking uh situation that many ceos find themselves in and what that means is that you ultimately, whether it's their decision or your decision, have to part company for 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 better or for worse. And I find that really, yeah, just it's just it's just like probably being buried for years, but then actually uh, parting companies. But I would say you have to look back and on on working with that individual as a positive because uh, they have got you to where they've got you, but not necessarily going to get you to sort of to to where you're heading in the future for whatever reason and and that's a really really harsh reality of scaling a business often isn't it just isn't it just i know i know i think i think i've personally been in that situation in my in my late 20s i was in telecoms in the sort of late 90s and and i'm pretty sure i got to the point of being not terribly useful anymore having been you know desperately useful to the mission but at a certain point not so useful how do you tackle that conversation i realize that's a very big question for a very short yeah. podcast but I think if, any if advice for people yeah if, if you i would say honesty is, is always the best mm. um and i think just i would say there's a wonderful uh, saying that a friend of mine said to me years ago about kids actually she said your children are on loan you don't own them mm. and <laughs> And I think that it's really important for organizations to think of their employees in the same way, as in you shouldn't just assume that you're they're going to work there forever. And one of the things that I like to do is encourage my employees to do a future 10-year CV. And that's a really creative process. And the reason it's, I would suggest doing 10 years is because most people don't think, um, oh, I'm going to be in this company for, for 10 years. Maybe three years might be Good. I think in the tech sector, it's one point one one year and seven months. So it's not very long at all. And so hopefully that process gives them and you an insight into where what is their career trajectory? What are their expectations? Maybe they haven't actually got um, um, ambition and you can help them understand where they could grow in their career. So I think it's great to be able to um, have a, a an honest, open conversation about where they're heading in their career. And then if you can support that on that short journey, whatever that is, then you've prepared them for the skills that's needed in the future. But having a, an open relationship and an open understanding that uh, they're not, you don't own them and they're not, it's not forever, I definitely think will go a long way to, to helping them because what you don't want to do is leave them stranded without skills that are no longer needed. So as an example, for example, um, in my marketing team, I'm forever uh, encouraging them to adopt AI, uh, to learn the skills of prompting and to understand the capabilities around generative AI, because I wouldn't be surprised if in a year from now, somebody's looking for a job in marketing. If you don't have those skills, uh, you're going to be left on the rack. And so just making sure people keep ahead with their skills, their qualifications, so that they're staying relevant. And I think organizations have, no matter what age of the employee, have a, a duty to encourage people to develop, continuously develop the skills and invest in those. And, and certainly in tech, the tech is, is developing at such a pace that if you're not keeping up with the skill development, then you're going to be left behind as well. 
I think you're absolutely right. I love that, by the way. You know, you don't own, you, you know, you're, they're on loan to you. You don't own them. Yeah. I really, love, I really love that. The challenge with what you described, though, is is accepting at a certain point that as an organization, you're not the best place for that person to develop anymore. And that's an incredibly difficult thing for an organization to accept because the idea that it, it's actually my fault, you know, a little bit like you said, you're a bit of like a marriage, you know, it's not, it's not you, it's me. It's kind of like, uh, actually, your for your 10-year CV, I've also got about 100 questions about that that I want to ask. Um, actually, you'll be better off somewhere else. And I bet you and I have got examples of people who we've had the difficult conversation with and who have flourished as a consequence of being on loan to somebody else now rather than us. Such a good point. And if you manage it well, they become your ambassadors and then the cycle continues. Don't they? Don't they? You manage it badly, though, and you leave it too long and you've just won yourself a detractor. So the the counter is true and it's always the organisation's fault for not tackling it soon enough. Oh my gosh, it feels like there's about 10 spin-off um, podcasts here. But anyway, I must continue in our usual um, structure. Who's most influenced the way you led, Carlin? You've worked in several different organizations. You're also now seeing lots of other businesses from the other activities that you, you've undertaken. Who's been a big influence on you? So years ago, I had the great privilege of uh, working with a guy called Brendan Green. And he actually trained as a doctor and lucky for me, he didn't continue with that. And he he became uh, a manager for me. And he was somebody who could go into a room with a bunch of different people and they would think they were talking the same language, but they weren't on the same page. And he would go in with uh, a metaphor or an analogy or an analogy. And he would say, are you saying blah, 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 blah. And everyone would start nodding and he had a phenomenal talent with communication. But one of the best things he did for me, and I uh, I would say I've taken this into how I lead, is he, when I, early on, when I started working with him, he turned around, he said, this proposal isn't good enough. And he said, you can do better, he said. So what he told me afterwards, he said, I never looked at your proposal, but when I, I thought I did the, an amazing job. So I literally had to rack my head and just, think oh my god if, if if i needed this to be a step change better because i would have thought it was really good what could i do and it really helped me realize that in all of us is the potential to give even if we think we're giving our best there's potential to give more and if only you can have the right mentors around you or the right people pushing you and uh, I just hit his ability to bring the best out of me and make me realize you could say in a coaching capacity that actually, even though I thought I'd reached the ceiling, I was nowhere near the ceiling. I still had more to give. And that was a, a, an amazing lesson for me to have learned. So this proposal, he hadn't read it. He just yes, didn't he confessed. It. He, he confessed he hadn't read it. <laughs> and I thought, what? But I was actually very, I wasn't cross because I was like, wow, you've just helped me make a step change of something I'm so proud of. I was proud of what I did before, but I I didn't know I had it in me to to make something better uh, to the extent that I did. But I, he was, he, I think it's also just evidence to me, the importance of having a, a great line manager is never uh, in question because I think they, I think your loyalty is so often to your to your line manager uh, more than it is the business. So it's a it's important that organizations don't just promote people to their level of incompetent management because they're doing an injustice for for their team. I totally agree. I think it was Marcus Buckingham who said, um, you know, people join organizations and leave managers. 
and yeah. a, and a, and it may not always be the case especially i think it was said some time ago especially when people move you know a bit more often for all sorts of reasons but having a boss who sees something in you that you'd not seen in yourself in the way that Brendan did, you know, saw something in you that at that point you hadn't seen a belief that whatever it was you'd done, you could do better. It's just like rocket fuel for somebody's confidence for their career, for their sense of well-being, and is massively underestimated. I, I see it consistently being underestimated, but it's lovely to shine a spotlight on it. Thank you for doing that. Um, let's talk about executive teams. You've talked a little bit about people, you know, being the right fit already. What's the secret to a really effective executive team? Because, of course, any CEO of any organisation, large or small, relies entirely on, you know, sometimes a relatively small group of people. What have you learnt about that over the years, Kai? So I would say that what's really important is irrespective of your personal point of view on an executive team, you need to be able to, yes, have confidence to to challenge things, but you, there comes a point when you have to put your own agenda aside and actually think about the company and what it's trying to achieve and support that because your team that uh, you're sort of working with to execute on the strategy can see through your commitment and loyalty to the the organization's growth or strategy um and if they're uh, if you're not demonstrating commitment to the business strategy uh then your team's going to see that and it's going to be harder to execute on that so for example that might be if their company's implementing a particular policy as well such as how you adapt to hybrid working and it might suit you personally to sort of to, to work in a particular way, but actually at the end of the day, you have to think about what is the needs of the business and sort of be aligned to that. But so communication is another one. It's just making sure that sometimes what might seem very um, minor to you in, in a particular role uh, actually has a big impact on the business. So making sure you have an executive team that are able to think about risk and bigger picture and not just operating at a, an operational level because maybe they might pick up on a trend that actually if they can surface that to the to the the wider team that could be gold for the future growth of the business yeah it absolutely can i'd really by the way rate the thing you're saying about putting your own agenda aside and hybrid's a really good example to choose right right now you know we're sort of coming towards the end of 2023 uh, what what's your view by the way just you know as somebody who is enabling businesses to operate much more efficiently i'm sure people listening to this have a wide range of views on everybody should be back in the office and commuting again or you know nobody should and they should be able to you know work from wherever whenever personal point of view on that well because of my passion for investing in people and to mentoring and to giving back to the younger generation it, i 100% think that people need to be spending if if there was a balance three days in the office otherwise without that a you're not going to spot where people need support um and there isn't going to be the maturity of experience around to help those who most need it and so for that reason i think i think hybrid working is great i think um maybe there are some roles where there isn't in an organization if there isn't a need to train up others and if you're working with experienced people some people do absolutely work better from home and i think um i respect that i think it has to be on a case-by-case basis certainly in my team we have different roles that have 
different needs for being in the office. But there's such a loss of um, creativity if you're not together because people sort of don't think to necessarily um, ping you and they think that they have this state of mind of they're interrupting your flow. And the other side of things, particularly during the pandemic, I saw that a lot of people who might say have been single, it can be very lonely and you can go mm. into this downward spiral. And I don't think it helps those if they, I think the World Health Organization says one in four people have susceptibility to poor mental health. What does it do for, for that part of society that don't realize that actually being around other people, positive energy, being a part of a bigger purpose, that's actually probably quite important to their well-being. Mm. I'm fascinated to sort of, I'd, I'd love to get in a time machine and go I'll go on my 10-year CV and see what it's like in 10 years' time when all of this has found its level because it does feel like, as you say, on executive teams, you can have two people who feel very passionately about that, two people who very feel passionately that everybody should be able to work whenever, wherever they like, whenever they like. And we just are a little bit in the washing machine around it at the moment and finding the right level that enables people to be the best of themselves in all aspects of their life. I don't think we're there yet. I think there are plenty of organisations who think they are, who think they've found alchemy. I'm pretty sure they haven't. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see where we get to, and it's probably going to be the next generation that will uh, that will define uh, that and make it work for them. Two last questions for you, um, Colleen. The penultimate question is, biggest change on your horizon? You work in an industry which is constantly um, throwing changes. You've been at the forefront of that by the looks of things for most of your career. Uh, what's around the corner? I reckon you might be about to say two letters that are said <laughs> quite often these days. What was that, AI? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm a huge uh, ambassador for, for AI, generative AI, that is. And I think that it's hugely exciting. It's mind-blowing. If In fact, uh, what generative AI can do for us at a personal level and for our businesses, and we're only just at the start because ChatGPT came out in, is it November 2022? And already what tools like that and other tools can do to sort of help highly creative people or even people with a little creativity to create phenomenal content. And of course, yes, there are some um, sort of government uh, and industry challenges that will, that we that probably needs to be policies protecting people's identity if you're duplicating um, personas or voices and things like that. But, but that aside, I'm super excited, encourage everyone in my team to learn as much as they can around AI. And I'm looking forward to supporting our clients uh, with adopting AI in their business, because if something can take you 20 seconds to create, whether it's a research report or a draft strategy that can point you in the right direction or a competitive analysis, if you're if you're a sales team and you're about to pick up the phone with a um, a customer and you want to understand how they're using a particular technology in their industry and what the competition are doing, why not leverage uh, a generative AI to help you tap into what's available? And at the end of the day, you do have to sort of, in my view, own own the content and make sure it reflects your views. But if you can speed up the process of editing, drafting research, or sort of creating content, which might even be images, um, not just written content. Um, I think that's going to give us a lot more time to focus on things that actually are more meaningful, which is quality human to human time. 
Absolutely. What's the most exciting application of it you, you've seen recently? What's what's something you've seen that's made you think, wow, like I was excited, but this is this is a game changer? I would say the ability to create images, actually, uh, because uh, as a as a as a creative, say I'm creating a, a say a blog or a post, um, in my head I know what image I want. But to have to rely on going into Adobe stock images to try and find a similar picture to what I this, they never have the exact picture. But imagine being able to use ChatGPT to define uh, the quality and style of an image that you want, and then to be able to sort of take that and add to it what you have in your head. Uh, it's like having a mind reader uh, computer attached to your brain to create some images of which you can then within seconds, just uh, manipulate and edit to be exactly the image that you have in your head. Um, that's super exciting, let alone, uh, I know my son's always on Alexa creating songs, uh, both words, and he puts in, he feeds in a few words and tells it the style, uh, and then it creates this song and, and he gets such joy, he's 10, uh, from, from being able to do that. It's like, what a gift to enable people to do things beyond the skills they currently have amazing it really is amazing by the way i should say since adobe is one of our clients adobe are also putting ai at the real forefront of some of their developments so well stock images stock images are going to become something completely different in the future but um advertising campaign for adobe done um last question uh some people who listen to this podcast we know are are wondering if ceo is for them in the future they may not be particularly May not be utterly determined, but they ponder it. Do they think, is this is this me one day? Then there's a whole bunch of people who listen to it who just have to deal with CEOs and wonder what is it that kind of makes for a CEO. Have you got some quick bits of advice for anybody who's aspiring to this uh, three-letter acronymed role in their future? For sure, I would say it's def it's not necessarily for everyone, uh, but if you're thinking of it and you're early, especially if you're early in your career or coming back into a career. One option might be to think of taking on a role of chief of staff. Um, and so chief of staff role is really like a, an in highly intelligent right-hand person for uh, an exec, usually often uh, a CEO. And you get to see all of the sort of the best things about what they do and what they don't do. And you take on a lot of the responsibilities of that role. And it could be attending meetings on their behalf and, and supporting um, almost like being a right-hand person, but also thinking ahead of like being one step ahead. And so that's one option if, if you're aspiring to it. But I would say there's um there's a, a methodology um called traction or EOS. And what they say in, in that methodology is you sort of need two people. You need the sort of the visionary, somebody who can see trends, can see into the future. If you're one of those people, then uh they can paint a, a view of the future and, and understand what the trends are then I definitely would encourage you to, you're one of those rare finds and definitely you should give serious thought to becoming a CEO. But what you really need as well is the um, the right-hand person who's phenomenally good at executing, who's good at taking your, what might appear sometimes ambiguous uh, thoughts and visions because you're highly creative and just documenting those and putting them into a plan and executing on those uh, along with support of other people. Um, and that executor is, in my view, an equal um, an equal sort of partner in anyone starting to looking to start a business. Having said that, it's definitely much easier if you can employ that person rather than necessarily go into business with 
somebody with with those execution skills but be very mindful that sometimes the people the highly creative people who are fantastic at inspiring and creating a vision aren't always the same people that are great at executing so be aware of your limitations and make sure you find other people to support you in building out on your vision interesting i saw a post on linkedin this morning actually that had uh, the relationship between CEO, CFO, and COO, and their sort of respective talents that they bring to it—not responsibilities, but the talents—and how you know, in a perfect setup, those complement each other, and those those three core roles work really effectively. Now, I'm sure there's lots of chief commercial officers and CIOs and CCOs listening to this, thinking, "What about me?" Of course, but I think you're absolutely right, and making that acknowledgement about yourself that what what am i what is it that that makes me gives me joy professionally what makes me most happy and is that being a visionary or is it just you know getting stuff done because oh my goodness ceos who only do the visionary stuff and haven't got somebody alongside them uh, who can get stuff done well we've seen what happens in those situations and it, it seems to happen with you know irritating frequency so super advice Carleen thank you so much I could have chatted to you for about another three hours um, and I feel like there's loads of other questions um, that we haven't asked I think we're all very glad that your brother prodded you um, in this direction um, and that you had experiences before that of working with people like Brendan who uh, who made you believe in better and that you now um, you know serve a very wide community. You have the purpose um, focus in your organization of not just helping organizations to do better, but also younger people and smaller businesses getting started. Thank you so very much for everything you and your team do. Thank you for your time today. It's been just a joy talking to you. Thank you, Matt. It's been great. I'm always fascinated to learn about our guests' origin stories and that catering franchise in a pub at an early age was clearly a moment of ignition for Carleen. She's another leader who reminds us that time with loved ones is precious and indeed fleeting and that we'll never regret taking that extra family dinner over answering some more emails or attending a late night conference call. Talking of loved ones, that idea that our employees, just like our kids, are on loan to us and that we don't own them is worth taking a moment to reflect upon. As is the truism that at a certain point, organisations can outgrow people and to try and keep them when that happens is as mean as it is foolish. It's always good to hear again that reminder that if you want to be an effective executive team member, you've got to learn to be able to put your agenda aside and as Carleen says, commit to the business strategy, whether that's a strategy that jives with you or not. So as Carleen heads off for some more generative AIing in her business and personal life, we'll say thanks to her. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you're a Meet the CEO first timer, welcome. Please take a browse of our previous episodes and hear from other CEOs just like Carleen. If you're a regular, thanks so much. And remember, if you get the chance to share the series with others or even give us a rating, we'd be incredibly grateful. Meantime, best wishes in all your endeavours and look forward to welcoming you to the next episode of Meet the CEO from Positive Momentum.